Welcome into another edition of the Gig'em 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Jeff Tartley this week, who is a Gig'em 24-7 beat writer, covers the team, and, and provides all the analysts for our subscribers on there and does a, does a wonderful job. And so very lucky to have him on today, Jeff. Thanks for thanks for coming on to, to do this and, and, and talk a little fall camp. No problem, brother. Um, so you've... You've been out to, to a couple practices, and we'll we'll kind of dive into the offense today as as we kind of look ahead to the season, um, which is just over two weeks away at this point. I know at this time everybody kind of can't wait to to get going with the season. Um, as you've kind of been out to to practices and been out to you know talking to people about the scrimmages and all that sort of stuff, just what's been your general sense about where like the offense is going to be this year and, and, and what are some big keys you're looking for offensively with, with the team this year? Well, then number one, of course, is the quarterback spot uh, with the, the, the three-way battle between Haynes King, Max Johnson, and Connor Wigman. I, I, based on everything we've heard, and I think this is, you kind of get a gist of this, no matter who you talk to, uh, no, no matter what, outlet uh is has has looked at fall camp so far as not just ours haynes king is performing very very well uh, he when you watch him he's he's got noticeably more velocity on the ball this camp than he did back in the spring than he even did early in the summer uh, as a result he's able to make some of the throws that might have been more problematic for him even last year prior to the injury. He's got more confidence in terms of his reads. The ball is coming out earlier. Uh, he's able to make throws more so on the break than, let's say, the other two quarterbacks. And and, and I want to emphasize this, too. It, it's not the fact that Max, Max Johnson and, and Connor Wigman are struggling necessarily. It's the fact that Haynes King has elevated his game and become closer to the quarterback that everybody thought he would be when they watched him win a state championship at Longview and then at the opening in the summer of 2019. How much do you think of that is, is, is now he's been on campus for a couple of years and, and how much do you think of maybe is, is as a result of, of maybe bringing in some competition and, you know, Jimbo Fisher often talks a lot about that. Just how much do you think maybe the competition is, has kind of brought this out of him or do you think there, there's kind of more at play there? I, I, I think the level of competition team wide has forced everybody to get better. Yeah. Maybe not at the schedule, you know, at the, at the rate the fans want it to necessarily at, yeah. at, at various positions, but you can see as a whole, that if you want to play on this team, you have to be able to do what the coaches are asking you to do, and you have to continually work to get better. You can't just sit there and be the same player on the first day of camp that you are right now. You you have to continually work on your technique. You have to be a better blocker. You have to be a better pass catcher. I, I wrote stuff on the tight ends, mm-hmm. and – there was a lot of attention paid to Jake Johnson back in the spring. Excellent receiver. Uh, just it was just weird. He, he how he could just vacuum the ball out of the air. Uh, 
with the way he was able to turn and to adjust to it, it wasn't just about seeing it. It's like if the ball's anywhere near it, he just kind of swallows it up with his hand. Uh, then you get to the fall. Donovan Green gets on campus in the summer. Well, Donovan Green's probably better. You know, he's a better blocker, and he's not a bad receiver either. So as a result, Jake Johnson has gone from a guy that everybody was really raving about in the spring in terms of his pass catching to, oh, wait a minute, now I've got to step up my game in terms of my blocking because here's this guy that just got on campus and he's a really, really good blocker. So that's the way it is across all the positions on this football team. There's just so much more depth than there was a year or two ago. And you're kind of seeing that at quarterback. You're seeing the competitors come out in Haynes King and Max Johnson, and they're getting better and they're pushing each other. And in King's case, uh, he, he's been pushed to, hey, look, I can't be the same guy that I was last season when I beat out Zach Calzada, and he's not. He's a better quarterback, and that's been evidenced by the how he's looked so far, not just throwing the ball in drills, but reportedly how he's doing in practices and scrimmages. Do you think as a result, it's, it's 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 probably reasonable for fans to expect maybe a higher floor than there was last year and, and just more of a consistent play out of that quarterback position? Do you think that's kind of reasonable based on just everything, with whether it's Max Johnson or Haynes King? Do you think that's that's kind of something fans can at least look forward to? Or I think as much as everything else, that Jimbo and, and Jimbo Fisher said this before, A&M has to get better play around its quarterback. They, yeah. the, the pass protection just simply wasn't very good last season. The, the wideouts had all kinds of issues, so many injuries there, so many guys that they were counting on who just didn't play a whole lot. They, they, they didn't have people that could consistently run routes, get down the field, and, and catch the f- football without dropping. It was just, it, it was, there were just, it, it was just issue after issue after issue. And the way this offense works, everybody has to be operating on the same level in order to be productive. And that wasn't the case last year. You know, when I go back and talk about the other aspects of the passing game, everybody wants to focus on the quarterback. Zach Calzada, except for the Alabama game and also the LSU game really wasn't that good last year. But there wasn't any aspect of the passing offense that operated at even an average SEC level. As a result, A&M, you know, the offense was painful at times. They had they had to run the ball. Uh, third and medium to third and long were very, very problematic downs for the offense. I f- That may take a little time to rectify this year because they're working in new parts to the offense. But there's certainly – there's certainly a feeling of hope that the that the insertion of people like Evan Stewart in the passing game, uh, the fact that they've got some tight ends now uh, that that do have some athleticism. Uh, everybody thinks that Trey Zune is going to be an upgrade of the left tackle spot. All of those things should theoretically provide AM with with a better passing game. Now, whether we'll see it game one or not, remember. Haynes King threw for nearly 300 yards against Kent State last year. And that was as healthy and, and as that offense was all season. They never were the same unit after yeah. that game. The, in, the injuries hit, and it was just too much for them to overcome. 
as long as A&M doesn't have the same issues from an injury standpoint, those were extraordinarily bad last season. I mean, I've followed this program for 50 years and it was, it was just, it was horrific in terms of how many guys went down and how much time they missed and how much that affected every level of the offense restricted Jimbo Fisher as a play caller. Uh, If they can stay somewhat healthy and continue to develop as the season goes on, they should be able to do a lot more and be a lot more productive in the passing game than what we all saw last season. Um, You know, you mentioned Evan Stewart there. What's, What's been the early returns on on a guy like him? He came in with with so much expectation, so much hype as you know, a five star receiver, the number one receiver in the in the high school rankings. Just when you've talked to people about him, what what are maybe the things that he's he's impressed people the most about coming in as a freshman? He came in and had an extraordinarily extraordinary work ethic an attitude to go with the talent. I think that's what surprised people more than anything else. It's you watch him and A&M just really hasn't had anybody like him. And as far as pure ability at the receiver position, we're talking about the combination of athleticism and the ability to adjust to the football and, and see it even when theoretically he shouldn't be able to look it into his hands. He had a deep catch in the uh, open practice where King just dropped it in over his inside shoulder. I'm not sure how he ever saw the ball. It was almost like he he saw King was releasing the ball and he just trusted him to deliver it and, you know, gets his hands out there and makes the adjustment at the last second. But on top of that, he's he's wanted to be very good, very badly. He's worked at his craft. He's worked hard not just to improve himself athletically, but to become the type of pass catcher that everybody thinks he can. And so far, the burden of expectations haven't weighed him down. I think, and I think to me, there's really been nobody else in the program that's had that combination of athleticism and maturity who's come in and taken everybody by storm. I know we talked about this on the boards where everybody's like, well, what about this guy? And what about this guy? And, you know, Reggie McNeil back in the two, early 2000s, you know, let him play. But Stewart came in day one, was like the best player at his position. And he's worked very, very hard to maintain that status and improve on it. And those are the things that have caught everybody's eye so far throughout spring practice and now in fall camp. Yeah, that'll no doubt, that'll no doubt be welcome years to, to A&M fans and looking at the rest of the kind of the receiver room, because I feel like that that position group has so much of a spotlight on it. Who are some other names to, to kind of know? And obviously it's Chase Lane, it's Nia Smith, but who are who are maybe some other names that, that fans should kind of look out for this year? Well, everybody's been talking about the, the freshman, Chris Marshall and Noah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Thomas has been able to stay healthy and so he's had more of an impact in the practices and, and, the, and the scrimmage they've had. He, he's, he's got a good frame. Uh, he's able to hold up pretty well right now, even though he's a freshman. Uh, Marshall has missed some time. He hadn't always been out there. Uh, he's, he's probably, from a physical standpoint, trying to make more. He just doesn't quite have the, the body yet 
that Thomas does. And so Thomas is a little bit more physical maturation on his part, a little bit bigger body. Thomas so far has been the guy who is doing the types of things. I think that people thought that Marshall would right off the bat, but Marshall just hasn't been as available. Uh, you know, we talk about ability, but we need to emphasize availability. Noah Thomas is out there every day. He's doing what the coaches tell him to. He's catching everything thrown his way. He's learning how to ingratiate himself into the passing offense. You look at everything he's doing. He's a guy that everybody's excited about. Yeah, not, you know, the veterans, everybody's kind of taking a wait and see. Ask, look, ask, there's a wait and see aspect to the veterans because of what happened last year. If those guys can stay healthy, they'll be fine. But Thomas is a length and speed and adjustment to the ball upgrade, the likes of which that A&M really hasn't had in a long, long time. And looking at the, um, you know, another room that seems to have a lot of uh, competition there is that is it the running back spot? Um, obviously, the big talking point coming into the year is Devon Achain taking over as the uh, as the lead back. What do you think that's going to kind of mean for the A and M offense? Uh, for me, I think they're going to be a little more explosive with just the electric speed that he has. But what do you think he brings to the table as as kind of the featured back now? Isaiah Spiller was kind of an underrated back in terms of yeah. his big playability. Uh, he he generated a lot of chunk plays, uh, but he generated more chunk plays when people respected the passing game more. Uh, he wasn't able to do that last year. People really got their safeties and, and got him into the box and were much more aggressive about doing so. And as a result, he had very, very few opportunities to create those types of plays that he had in the past. A chain is, but, but it, even with all that, a chain is a different player. Spiller used his vision and power to be able to get to the second level and, and be able to give you a chance to get into the open field. A chain just – he just simply outruns people with spots. He just has that burst. Uh, he has a little bit of wiggle. Uh, you know, all of those things translates to him taking a pass and getting into an open field and using that speed to do things differently. Where Spiller tried to run where people weren't, a chain's just going to outrun them, period. He's just going to beat them to spots. And – he gives AM a better chance for explosive plays with his ability to do that. So if AM can upgrade the tight end position and get more people in there with, with more speed, if they can, you know, Evan Stewart, guys like that, if they can get Evan Stewart the ball more so in space, uh, this is going to be an offense that there's going to be more of an easy button that they can hit to do the things to create the big plays so that they don't have 10 play. 70-yard drives. As we saw in the Orange Bowl in 2020, you've got a 70-yard drive, one play. And that's the type of thing that guys like a chain and Stewart can bring to this offense, and they'll make AM's life much, much easier in that regard if they can carry through on their promise. 
and you know, there's one of the things when it feels like every every press conference or every other press conference, Jimbo Fisher kind of gets asked about this. But but do you think that's kind of what he means when he when he when he talks about there's more than one way to create a big play? Because everybody obviously kind of looks at those 30, 40 yard passes downfield. Do you think he kind of looks at a guy like a a chain that can provide some of those big plays and chunk plays that that people have kind of been clamoring for when it, when they look at this A and M offense. The big thing about these guys is that if you get Stewart or a chain the ball at the line of scrimmage, they're much more capable of of taking it thirty to four yards mm-hmm. than the people that A and M has had. And that's not a knock on those people. That's just a fact of life. They're more athletic. They're quicker. They go from zero to 60 in a hurry. So as a result, any kind of spacing, any kind of defensive mistake, missed tackles, that kind of thing, you're going to be able to have a chance to take simple plays and make bigger plays out of them. And so for Jimbo Fisher and Daryl, you know, Daryl, you know, is interesting. You and I were talking about this right before I came on. Jimbo Fisher has been kind of, you know, somewhat bland at, at his press conferences this fall. Uh, with, with, you know, for the most part in talking about this football team. But uh, if you go back and watch Daryl Dickey on media day, Daryl Dickey was just ecstatic about what he's got to work with as, as a game planner and as co-OC. He, he talked about the weapons that he has, you know, that they're just faster, they're just deeper than what they've been so far uh, during Fisher's tenure. And you could tell that he's he's really looking forward to being able to operate with those weapons in hand, uh, because now you can throw the ball and swing past a chain, and you know, on play designed to get seven to ten, he might get you thirty. He's got a better chance of doing that. And so Daryl Dickey's life, all of a sudden, just got a lot easier because not only is more of the playbook open to him, but he doesn't have to sit there like he did in twenty twenty and go, hey, look, I've got to find a way to, you know, get Fisher to be able to call a sequence of plays where we can go 70 yards in 10 plays. Instead, now he's got a guy who can get him, who can slice a big chunk of the field off. So instead, you get a second and six and you go 40 yards and then all of a sudden you're in the red zone and your life just gets that much easier as a play caller and as an offense all of a sudden you're not having to work so hard to generate points. And we're going to definitely see more of that this year with the speed that A&M has on the field. No doubt. Just like you mentioned, you know, just the level of execution you need to be able to go 10 plays, 70 yards, it just makes your life so much more difficult because every play it feels like you need to be perfect or, or you're in a second and long or third and long. So, you know, if they can get some big plays that that'll certainly help out and make make a big difference on this, on this offense um we're going to take a quick break and then after the break we're going to come back and discuss a little bit more about the offensive line and and a little more of those running backs and tight ends that that we touched on earlier we'll be back after a, a quick break welcome back into the gigam 24 7 sports podcast we are once again joined by jeff tarpley um jeff wanted to talk a little bit about the offensive line with you because i feel like last year you kind of warn people in the in the preseason and 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 whether they kind of listened or not about the offensive line and the importance of of experience uh and injuries obviously compounded the issues 
issues there. But looking at this 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 year's offensive line, how much do you think the experience of of having to at least throw guys in? Obviously, Ruben Fathery and Bryce Foster got experience. How much deeper do you think AM is along the offensive line this year? Based on guys having to play last year and maybe not being ready, but 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 at least getting that experience. Well, it's kind of interesting. They're actually counting on two guys without a lot of experience to play big yeah. roles in uh, uh, in in Moco and Zoom, uh, yeah. and those two guys are really going to kind of be keys to what they can do. Offensive lines work as units. They're usually only as strong as their as their weakest links, and that was an issue A and M kept running into last year. Was they had multiple they had multiple spots where either youth or just a, a lack of ability. You know, they just you know they just kind of played whack a mole in some games, especially when they had to go away from Kyle Field when they were at Kyle Field and. And you got a hundred thousand people being quiet when when the quarterback's going, you know, going through audibles, protections, and the snap count. It's one thing when you're playing away from there, and you've got crowd noise, and uh, it, it's harder to hear. It's harder to you know think about what's going on. The defense is all amped up because the crowd's behind them. That's what. A&M had to deal with last year. This season, they're going to have more experience. But Zune has to be able to hold down that left tackle spot and be able to provide a semblance of comfort uh, in terms of protecting on the edge that just wasn't necessarily there last season. Uh, Moko's got to be the type of road grader on the inside, maybe not to the same level as Layden Robinson's and who – and a, a big time All American candidate, big time NFL draft prospect, but he's going to have to at least be able to do that well. They're going to be Zune and Moke are going to have to be able to do certain things well. Moke is a run blocker, Zune is a pass blocker, so that the offense as a whole is able to function. You know, depending on where they are in terms of other aspects of their game. Uh, they're going to have to be strong, particularly strong at certain things so that A&M doesn't get put into situations to where they're being asked to do, you know, they're being asked to do more of the things that aren't their strong suits. If they can avoid those things, I, I, I think this has a chance to be a, a, a much better unit. Uh, I, I think from a depth standpoint, they're young on the on the second line guys are kind of young uh but they've got some talented people who are in the pipeline now uh, and hopefully for a m those guys will develop so that a m goes from you know a first five and they're really trying you know and 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 they're hoping they you know matthew wyckoff's kind of utility guy at this point uh, you know, Aki's kind of a utility guy at this point, but if they can, if they can find some people in that freshman class, in those underclassmen, it seems like that they've got a much better chance now to have the type of guys that they can plug in as utility guys, as true backups, as opposed to where they were, you know, even 2020, 
the 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 guys that left the four seniors they had they stayed on the field all year they didn't they never came off the field they're they're getting they're going to have a better chance although you don't really want to test them as much till let's say uh 2023 but the 2022 group the got the younger guys on there they have a much better chance of having more depth being able to go even eight deep and being able to withstand the types of injuries that that kind of wrecked the 2021 season. And, um, you know, just looking at that freshman class, are there any guys there that you kind of see? Some of them feel like they are definitely going to need a year. Um, are there any of those guys that if there were to be injuries that you see would be ready to step in and uh, in a pinch or? Well, I think right now the what most of the time, and I, I say this, most college programs don't go too deep. Having a too deep on the offensive line is a misnomer. You yeah. really hope that you can have one guy. Most, most, in fact, most programs don't even have five guys. They have they have four guys they can count on, and they have a guy that that they hope doesn't screw everything up. And and defensive coordinators will attack. They'll have enough film so they can attack that guy. So what you're trying to find really is a sixth guy that you can bring in off the bench. And yes, you may have to shift some people around. Keep in mind last year at one point, A&M started a different lineup up front five straight weeks. In Arkansas, due to injuries, they had three different offensive line combinations. So what you're hoping is to get a guy that you can plug in. And yeah, you might have to move people around, but at least you've got an experienced guy as opposed to an inexperienced guy like Aki. You know, he's not the perfect body to go play tackle. On the other hand, he may have just enough length and size to be able to play it. He's not perfect, but again, he's he he might be he might be functional enough to allow you to get away with it. And you can bring Wyckoff off the bench or somebody else off the bench. And so that's where AM stands there. If if they can keep the five guys they've got starting together, it's not perfect, but it's functional and it will allow them to do the things they want to do. And they will either even be able to withstand some attrition. Let's say if somebody goes out, you plug in a guy like Wyckoff, you might have to move some people around, but again, you can, you still survive being able to do that. That's, that was the problem is that when A&M on, went on the road last year and early in the season, when they had all those issues in terms of the injuries, they just weren't able to have the continuity and they just didn't have the experience to be able to overcome that. And that happens. That happens with young guys. Not necessarily that fault. It was the cards that A&M was dealt. Uh, this year should be a different story. No doubt. And, you know, you mentioned Trey Zoon. And, um, you know, when we did, went down for the A&M camps and, and talked to people around there, there seemed to be a t just a ton of buzz about his athleticism and, and, and just what he was going to be able to bring you know, what he was going to be able to bring to the table as, as, as a left tackle. What are some of the biggest attributes you feel like have allowed him to, to be a guy that even though he hasn't, you know, seen the field much yet has brought so much excitement and, and so much anticipation to that offensive line room. He, he's got really good feet. And so that not only comes into play in pass protection, but as a run blocker, because he can get his hands on you and he, he's a different cat than, than someone like, Robinson or Moco, who's going to get their hands on you and kind of and kind of move you with their hands. He's the kind of guy that's really going to keep those feet churning in the run game, 
and displace you more than you would expect from a guy who uh, isn't a giant out there on the flank. In addition, he's a guy that's going to mirror people pretty well, stay in front of them. Uh, he, he's gotten better in terms of his ability to uh, anchor on the backside uh, of a passer and just keep in front of them. So I think everybody looks at him and they look, and, and despite his youth, he's an upgrade at, from a both an athletic and a strength standpoint in comparison to last year. If he can play, he may not play at the level that everybody's hoping to, because again, sometimes first year offensive line, you just never know what you're getting. But on the other hand, this is a guy who's, who's because of his feet has shown the promise that he can be maybe not everything everybody wants him to be right away, but he can certainly be functional. And that in itself would be an upgrade over what A&M got out of the position last year. No doubt. And then just looking at, um, you know, to, to kind of close out the, the offensive side of the ball, um, looking at the tight end position, um, you know, having to replace Jalen Weidemeyer there and um, have the young, have the young bodies that, um, that we talked about earlier. Who do you think are kind of the dependable guys there is Matt, you know, Max Wright's kind of a guy that's been on campus for a couple of years. And I know, I know everybody kind of, um, you know, looks at him as, as, as maybe just a veteran piece, but, but uh, what do you think he brings to the table and who are kind of the, you, if, if there are sure things in that room, who do you, who do you think kind of emerges at that spot? I, it, it's A&M's history under Fisher at the tight end position is, is, is has been interesting because on the surface, let's say when Fisher first got to college station, uh, back in December 2017, they didn't they didn't know who their tight end was going to be, and then they, they bring in a Jay Sternberger from junior college. Nobody knew what to expect from him, uh, and yet he was the he was as good of a tight end as Fisher's probably ever had uh, in that one season. Uh, the next year, they had Glenn Beal, who was a second year player but receiving was not where it needed to be. And even, you know, he was considered to be a run block. Run blocking wasn't necessarily where it needed to be. And, and Wattemeyer, who was a freshman, came in and eventually played for him. So A&M's got a history of getting newcomers, getting them passing game, and making them very, very productive. Uh, for all the talk about Wattemeyer, you know, Sternberger was just absolutely terrific uh, as a newcomer to the offense, he, he, you know, and this is an offense that Fisher wants to be able to throw to the tight end. He wants to be able to hit those intermediate routes because the tight end will come open. The receivers will, will get their routes out there and the tight end becomes a very, very good outlet receiver because everybody else is sitting there. They're dropping, they're watching the wideouts, And all of a sudden you've got a tight end that, you know, he gets matched up with a linebacker. Well, that's a mismatch. And and, and Fisher's offense is designed to take advantage of that. And A&M's been able to take advantage of that with the people that they've had. But to, to get to the end of my point, the guy who starts at that position at the beginning of the year may not be the guy who finishes. 
And Max Wright has, has done everything the coach's staff has wanted him to do. He's been everything they wanted him to be in terms of he's going to be right where he needs to be when the ball comes out. And the quarterbacks trust him. The uh, rest of the offense trusts him. The coaches trust him. But you got to remember that these young guys are every day they're getting reps and they're improving at a high rate. And you look at a guy like Donovan Green, hadn't been on campus very long, getting better very quickly. And in turn, we talked about the guys coming in and pushing each other. Jake Johnson was a very, very good receiver in the spring, really turned heads with his receiving ability. But Green's sitting there going, hey, look, if you're going to play, you're going to have to, you're going to have to bring something in terms of blocking. And Johnson is a better blocker than he was uh, back in the spring. So let's wait and see where everything develops because AM's got, I mean, AM's got a lot of bodies of time. It, it's not like the last few years where, you know, Baylor Cup had those horrific injuries. And then, of course, Blake Smith went down and, or they just didn't have anybody in the pipeline. Uh, AM was very fortunate to have two newcomers, Trevor Wood, who transferred in from Arizona, grad transfer, and then uh, Sternberger in 2018. And since then, uh, it, it's been hard to keep people healthy, enough people healthy at that position uh, in, in order to have anybody other than Weidemeyer. And they hadn't had much competition at the position. They just haven't because they haven't had enough healthy bodies or people who, you know, weren't recovering from issues. Remember that in 2020, you know, 2021, both, you know, Cup hadn't played in two years. Lake Smith was was coming off of, uh, of a major injury. So they find they've got a lot of bodies there now and they're healthy and they're not coming, you know, and they're, they're not coming off injury field 2021 seasons. So they're getting reps and they're getting, some of these guys are getting exponentially better every day. So be patient uh, because what you're seeing right now may not be what you see three to six games out. You just have to, because these guys, they're unpredictable. And you know what you got with Max Wright, but we'll see what we've got with the other guys. Just just hang in there, and it's going to be fascinating to watch how this tight end room unfolds as the season unfolds. No doubt. And if any position kind of epitome is the epitome of of what Jimbo Fisher talks about that competition aspect, and you know, I I think he always likes to mention the competition. The competition prevents complacency. The other guy. Um, you know, among that young group that I know you got a chance to see earlier this year was Theodore Mellon Ostrom, who's, who's, you know, new to the game of football in some regards, but what's been your impression of him and the feedback on him as he's kind of got settled into America and, and settled in, in college here? He's, he's having to learn to play football at a very, very high level uh, at a, in the, in, in what they asked him to do in Europe and the training that he had in Europe it was probably as good as it could get for, for, for his situation, but it's just not the same. It, it's hard to compare that to guys who played football for years and years and years. I mean, you want to look at a guy like Jake Johnson. Not only has he, you know, played since he was a little kid, he's son of a Super Bowl quarterback, NFL player, mm-hmm. who who got him into things at a level that most kids in this country don't have access to in terms of knowledge of the game, training, that type of thing. So he's starting out behind in not just from the standpoint that he came from 
from from Europe, but also from the standpoint that he's that he's competing against guys who have a lot more experience than him. Some of them have very very unique uh, backgrounds uh, that have given them a leg up over him. On the other hand, you see this guy in person. He does. He's and A and M has more guys like this than I've ever seen before. They've just got kids that look like they're upperclassmen, uh, and and this guy looks like that. He's got big legs. He's got a big upper body. He just is a massive, massive guy. There's not any, you know, it's just kind of hard to describe, and so. He's going again. When I talk about exponential steps, this is a guy that's going to be really. It's going to be really fascinating to see what he can do during the season, but in particular where he is next spring and then the fall after that, because it's hard for me to imagine at this point that he, if he, if he absorbs this to the level that he's supposed to, that he's not going to see the field on a consistent basis because physically he is just different. He is, and not only that, he's not only big, he's fast. He's got better ball skills than, than what you think someone coming over from Europe might have. He's are, you know, you, you, you see him in drills day one, then you see him in drills day 11 and he's doing the drills on day 11 better than he did on day one. So if he's making that kind of progress in terms of just being able to run a drill, Imagine what's happening with the rest of his game along the way, too. So that's what I'm telling you. Don't sleep on any of these guys because all of them are going to be improving as they go along. And some of them might improve faster than others if they get in the game and they get those reps. And maybe they get more practice reps uh, so they have a chance to get better. But let's just see how it all shakes out because this is, an, this is a deep uh, room that is going to be dynamic not just this season, but in the years to come for AM, because AM just has so many guys at the position that can play. No doubt. And I just feel like, you know, when everybody kind of looks at AM's 2022 class, everybody looks at, you know, the defensive line and rightfully so with all the talent that they kind of acquired there. And and it it sometimes gets glossed over that AM signed three of the top ten prospects in the in the twenty two two class at that at that tight end spot and and you know, it just from 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 everything that you've said and and everything you see in in the practice footage uh, that's available. You know, all three have kind of lived up to the billing to this point and 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 give that room so much depth and and competition that you know it's 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 kind of been restocked now heading into the next couple of years. Yeah, and and again, there's young guys on this team and that that are that are getting better. Uh, this is this is pretty good staff at, at at teaching technique, and you already see even a guy like one guy I want to point out. We I kind of I, I didn't mention him in the offensive line. Demetrius Crownover is a different guy right now than he was back in the spring. Uh, yeah. He's gotten better with his hands. He's keeping his feet under his pads when he when he latches onto people. Uh, he still needs, in terms of development physically, he, he he still needs to get there. But, again, he's a guy that's getting better every day. It's going to be real interesting to see where he is in, you know, watch him progress during the season, uh, watch him progress in, in, in 
in the spring of 2023, fall of 2023. And he's progressing enough, again, with these young guys, he's progressing enough that maybe you can count on him this year as a backup. You know, P.J. Williams was surprisingly good to me in that in the Sunday open practice in terms of just staying in front of people, and he wasn't always facing just guys who he came in, you know, same recruiting class, backups and backups, as I like to say. Uh, you know, you got guys like that that, you know, maybe, it, you know, they keep developing, might be able to plug them in this year, not not as a starter, but at least if something happens, you can plug them in for a few plays and not miss a whole lot. They can be functional and enable you to be functional while someone is missing. Again, not for an entire game, perhaps, but it, but for a few plays, a possession, a series, so that your offense doesn't have the issues that A&M had last year where they had one drive where everything kind of worked and then they had you know, multiple drives where nothing worked. Uh, they might just be better in that regard. And if they are better in that regard, for all the talk about the chunk plays, the explosives, the people like Evan Stewart – and the people like Devonna Chain, that alone will make them better in a very subtle and underappreciated way and enable them to have more drives where they have a chance to score points as opposed to drives where it's just like, hey, you know, yeah, we got off the field, but, you know, we didn't turn it over. We, you know, we, didn't, we didn't get the field flipped against us, put the defense in a bad spot. Uh, that was kind of 20, that was the way things were at times in 2021. They have a chance to make those things, that type of behavior go away to a much larger extent in 2022 with the guys they've got on the roster now. No doubt. That was actually going to be my, my question to kind of close things out with you. Do you think, um, do you think kind of the, the, the key to this is kind of attention to detail. When you look at, um, you know, last season, you mentioned it because everybody talks about the explosive plays. Is consistency, do you think, the biggest, the bigger key actually, though, in terms of just consistently? You look at the like the Ole Miss game, for example, the Arkansas game that, that you and I were at where, you know, it was just kind of lifeless for, for good portions of that game. Do you think the consistency will help this offense be better or do you think it's more of the, you know, the chunk plays? everybody talks about the chunk plays, but if they can keep the same 11 people on the field mm -hmm. together, most of the time, uh, you know, the Arkansas game was just particularly awful because you had three different offensive line combinations. And so you, one thing about the offensive line is that when you, let's say you execute a block where you, the garden center coming off on the defensive tackle, and then one of them has to get to the second level to get to the linebacker. AM in 2020, their offensive line was so good that those guys would just take that defensive tackle, drive him back into the linebacker's lap, and Spiller would get four to five yards before he would be touched. Uh, they had guys that worked together, they'd seen different fronts. They trusted the guy next to them that, hey, look, if I, you know, if we hit this defensive tackle at the same time, I know you're supposed to, I know that as soon as we get him stalemated, timing of the, the timing of the play, you're going to pop off of him, get to the second level, make that work. Uh, last year, they didn't have that. Uh, a lot of the time they just, they, you know, the 
Sometimes double teams didn't even work. And a lot of times linebackers, no one got to the linebackers because the wrong guy released or they just weren't able to execute that double team block at the point of attack. Just something as simple as that. You get those guys and you get them playing together, then you've got Bryce Foster and Moko who are humongous human beings who are doubling that tackle. And instead of just sitting there and getting the tackle and stalemating him or maybe missing something and, and the linebackers freed up to make a play, the timing is such and their trust is such they know that the guy, that the guy next to him is going to come off, get to that second level, get to the linebacker. And that's how you go from getting a one-yard gain, two-yard gain, those five, six, and seven-yard gains that we saw in 2020. And I think A&M is a lot closer to that now that they've got people playing with experience. They, you know, maybe not necessarily the depth that they would like to have, but they they've certainly got people now that they can plug in. And if they can just keep them together, stay healthy with the experience they've had, they're not going to be overwhelmed, especially when they go away from Kyle Field. And so they're able to do the simple, simple things well enough so that they can make the simple plays. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a much, much more consistent offense. And for all the talk about the big plays, maybe a better offense down to down that will enable them to have a better chance to generate those types of chunk plays because they're making the type of blocks and they're making the they're they're doing the things as a unit that they need to do so that 11 guys are doing what they need to and they don't have a guy or two or even three where they're having issues and everything just breaks down and you know negative play or you just have that happen on a couple of plays and the play's going nowhere and you're punting now all of a sudden everything's working well enough to where you're sustaining drives more like you did in 2020, but you're also getting giving yourself a chance to have the protection or do you have the blocking that you're generating those chunk plays. You're generating the type of plays that everybody wants you to wants you to have, fans want to see, but also that's going to make AM's life easier as an offense, and they're going to wind up scoring more points as a result of it. Couldn't agree with you more. That's kind of, you know, whenever people ask, you know, are they going to have more more chunk plays. That's one of the things I've always pointed to is more of the, it's more about the consistency because you, like you mentioned, you just had, you know, simple issues that, that would go wrong with uh, along the offensive line or a drop pass here or a wrong route here or something there. There was just, there was a disconnect for, for most of the year. So, so couldn't agree more on, on that front. Uh, Jeff, thanks. Thanks so much for, for kind of jumping on here. And I don't think anybody's going to find a better preview of the A&M offense and right here on, on Giggin 247, you know, not, not to be um, biased or anything, but I think that's, that's about as good a look as, as anybody can get on, on the offense, offensive side of the ball. Um, and for those, for those looking for more of this, be sure to uh, give us a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes and, and hit subscribe on that to, uh, to get the latest on any of every time a new podcast drops and, um and leave a comment there if you if you have anything any feedback that you'd like to to give us as well jeff thanks again thanks man appreciate the opportunity